You're listening to the After The Show Movie Podcast from ascully.com. Your weekly look at movies, video games, and more brought to you by your hosts, A. Scully and Sitor. We're addicted to movies. Are you? Hello, welcome to After The Show. Hello, Sitok. How are you? I'm good. You're very chirpy. Chirpy, yeah. Chirpy, chirpy. Chirpy, chirpy. It's Halloween month. It makes me chirpy. Well, no, I've never known you to be particularly Halloween lover, but hey, I'm I'm into it. I like to watch disturbing movies, and that's what Halloween gives me. Charming. You know what I'm saying? You can watch them any time, but... I can, but it is the best season. It's like watching Rudolph in July. You know, we know we can, but we don't. Yeah, why the hell would we? <laughs> so what's your before the after the show discussion? Before the after the show was you fixing the microphone because you did a little computer work this week, and inevitably, that always leaves one little thing behind. Yep. In the process, you solved that. I'm looking up train tickets for my mother to go to a city and come back. Fantastic. You know, train is so much cheaper than driving when you're going on like a four-hour drive or, you know, four-hour trip. So doing that, playing City Skylines, texting my friend, messaging another friend, looking at Facebook. Anything else you want to know about the before Oh, I also... I didn't ask for your life story. I also, well, this is all be- between the movie and now. This is what, If anyone doesn't know what the before the after the show discussion definition is, it's everything that's happened since we watched the movie. I also did a few brush strokes on a painting that I'm doing. We'll talk okay. about that later. <laughs> that's it. Okay, I'm putting an end to this. Okay, okay. Right. Okay. Let's move on with the show. This is Saturday, October the 8th. This is after the show 757. We're a movie review podcast, and every week we look at a new movie. This week we're looking at the movie The Black Phone. It's uh, part of our Halloween October. What are we calling this? What? Our October Halloween-y thing. The After the Shock October <laughs> something. It's not after anything. No, we're after the show, aren't we? I was trying to... Oh. It. Yeah. See what I'm saying? No. After the Shock to- No. After the Shock. Whatever. I think I think we're just good. We're just good. We'll just call it Halloween. As with the best villains in any really good story, we are mysterious. True. You don't want to lay it all out there. Like the bad guy in this movie. So The Black Phone is a 2022 movie. It's out on Blu-ray now. You can also stream it everywhere. It's rated R from our friends at Universal who sent us a copy for review. Sid Talk, you give us a synopsis of the movie The Black Phone. A very terrible man. Kidnaps children and does bad things to them. He's kidnapped the wrong one. See, that's a good one. That's good. All right, I'll give you the one off the box. After being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. That is it. And I know it's called the black phone, but I'll be honest with you, I don't feel like the phone is that is the whole thing of the movie. I feel like if it was the phone that was the whole thing in the movie, the poster would just be a black phone and not mm. a scary man. I mean, I get you. Yeah. There's a phone on there with him, right? No. Oh. No phone. <laughs> it's like the phone's nothing to do with it. Anyway, 
The Black Phone, horror movie from Blumhouse Pictures. What did you think? Sit talk. I enjoyed it. I mean, if you can enjoy things about horrible psycho murder people, but it's got like an old school vibe, which I really like. And it's not just because it's a period piece set in the 70s. It's done in the old style. We've both seen a lot of horror movies. A lot of our horror movie history is born (laughs) or was born in the 70s when we were children watching movies that were completely inappropriate. Correct. And there's that certain... I don't know if this is sexist anymore. I don't know. Sometimes I'm confused. If you have to say it, it is. (laughs) Well, I don't know. It's like balls to the wall sort of attitude. I don't even know what that means. Like, why would you put your balls on a wall? But, you know. Sounds painful and cold. Foot on the pedal, metal to the pedal, whatever. Like, they're going full on with there's an asshole who's kidnapping and murdering children. And one child, now we have to see him escape. Right? There's also, like, a dickhead parent. And then there's uh, the possibility of supernaturalness happening. Not just the possibility, I suppose. And that's it. It's, it sounds very superficial, right? There's a bad guy. There's victims. There's some blood. Um, there's bullies in the school and the kid has to defend himself. There's the dad who's, you know, abusive and a jerk. I mean, it's all very tropey. Yep, it is. But it's done well enough where it's like enough grit in there that I, I appreciate. It wasn't like flaky or like wacky, you know. But it does feel like you've seen this movie before in, in of different guys, let's say. Like a variation on this. This, not me. I don't feel like that. I mean, it's what differentiates this one from any other where somebody gets captured and then they have to escape or they have to... You're very cynical. Yeah, I'm just saying... <laughs> It's pretty similar to other movies. I get what you're saying. So the captive has to take control. This is the theme. I got you. Yeah. I got you. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but the differentiator, I think, is the performances from the kids in this movie. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah, and Ethan Hawke is good as the bad guy, but I think the kids are what sells it completely. Absolutely. All of the kids. Yeah, all of them. And it's their movie, really, right? I mean... I mean, there's the big hair kid who's just a little over the top. He's kind of like, was it Billy from Stranger Things? Yeah, exactly. That's a little what bit I was that, thinking. you know. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a flavor of Stranger Things. Flavor. Yeah, there's a flavor of old Stephen King movies. And that's not a coincidence because this movie or the story that this movie is based on was wrote by Joe Hill, who is Stephen King's son. It feels like, like I say, like something else different enough to be i don't know if it's scary now you might say that's a downside to a horror movie but i wasn't particularly scared of anything was you i wasn't scared but i was i don't know what the thing is where you're like ah like i can imagine this the horror because it happens in real life people are kidnapped and held prisoner in terrible places and done terrible things are done to them right and they're terrified tortured, whatever. We don't see the kid getting tortured or anything. I'm just saying because of the way it is, it's very stark. It's very straightforward. It isn't hokey or over the top. You know, he throws him in a basement. There's a mattress and a toilet and it's just grungy and gross. And that kind of gets under my skin. Like, first of all, he's a kid. Was he 13? Maybe. He is, thir- he is 13. It's in the synopsis. Oh, very. <laughs> I wasn't listening to your synopsis, Obviously. I guess, apparently. So you're also, at the, he's at that disadvantage, right? Not I mean, he has some cunning and wily ways, thinking about how to escape and all that. 
But that part freaks me out. And that this person, whatever reason, this guy in the mask has put me down here. That's more creepy, maybe, than scary. But then if you really think about it, it's terrifying. Like, I mean, terrifying. it would be terrifying to be in the situation, for yeah. sure. Yeah, they don't make it as if there's lots of jump scares or where you're, like, super tense. Like, there's a couple moments where he's going up the stairs or whatever, where he turns around and, like, there he is. But you don't have that kind of tension. It's more like you feel grubby and gross and, like, ugh, ugh. I think it was more like, for me, like, what the hell is he going to do? Like, I don't, some, sometimes he just comes down, oh, there's a weird, the creepiest part of the whole movie, if there's anything that's really creepy, <laughs> is the kid wakes up on the mattress and Ethan Hawke's bad guy is just sat there and he, he's literally just sat there to look at him. He even says, like, I'm just here to look at you. The and kid, I'm like... The kid's face is like, ugh. Yeah, that is more creepy than anything. Yeah, if I wasn't like, scared before... Yeah, You're creeping just, me out. I'm just down here to look at you while you sleep. Ugh. Weird. <laughs> this guy's motives are unclear during the movie, aside from there's a supernatural type element where the ghosts, let's call them, of previous kids that he's killed show up in this room. Are they ghosts or are they like his, uh, they're like unreleased spirits? Well, I guess that is a ghost. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what a ghost is. <laughs> They show up in the room, and then when they do show up and they give our hero, let's say, the 13-year-old boy, advice of how to get out of there. Now, once that happens... Hold on. How do they communicate with them? Uh, through a black phone. Right. Uh, <laughs> we haven't even talked about the black phone. The black phone rings. It's yeah. disconnected. The guy even says it's disconnected. It doesn't work. But then the phone rings, and it's these dead ghosts. Right. The dead ghosts. Are there other kinds? No. There's Casper the Friendly Are there ghost. living ghosts? <laughs> there's Ghostbusters ghosts. Hey, there's a new concept, living ghosts. Like, you're not really here, but you are. <gasps> I think I've just invented a new thing for Hollywood. You mean like that show called Ghosts that's on CBS? No, they're actually ghosts. Oh, they are actually ghosts, yeah. Oh, you mean like... Like, they... I'm, I'm alive, I'm here, but I'm just like... A ghost. But I'm like see-through... And they can only kind of grasp certain th objects. Oh, see, I've got a whole idea now. It's just, it's coming to, coming in, flooding in. Blumhouse, you can have that one for free. I'm half ghost. Oh, <laughs> see there? A ghost and a person had a baby, and it was me. <laughs> I don't want this idea. I don't like it. <laughs> it's terrifying. The, yeah, the stars of the show are the kids. It is murky and grimy and 70s-y. I mean, it's set in the 70s, so it's all costume and music. And it looks like the 70s mostly, but then there were some times where I was like, I don't buy it, it's the 70s. Mm. So Why? In, I thought I felt it was pretty in good. In school at the beginning, I was a bit, I don't know, like sometimes I can look at actors, these kids for instance. I get you. And they look contemporary, even though they're wearing 70s clothes. And I don't understand what that is, it's like a disc. I think it's because you know that it's not the 70s, right? Of course. So sometimes it doesn't fully sell me on the 70s. Damn these kids looking too modern. Yeah. And <laughs> Who do they think they are? We've been pretty fairly vague. Let's say some spoilers now. So the end of this movie, Sid Talk, spoilers. Mm -hmm. Did you like the ending of it? Did you find it satisfying? And it's kind of like case closed, right? Yeah. And it is mega tropey because it's just, it wasn't a surprise or shocking or anything like what happened. Or a twist. Yeah. It wasn't a twist of any kind. No. Um, 
But I was totally satisfied. I didn't have a problem with it because it felt like everything leading up to it led up to it. It's fairly straightforward, isn't it? Because here's the deal. The sister, we find out very early in the movie because some other boys have gone missing, right? There's conversations where the sister says she's having dreams and sees things about these boys. And she even says they're not going to find them the way they want to. And the brother's just like, oh, you know. Right. Then the police find out (laughs) that she has commented on these boys' deaths somehow. So the police believe in her. Somehow, someway, we've skipped to a time and a dimension where the police believe like a nine-year-old girl who has dreams, who has envisioned some details of the scenes that they have not released to the public. There's another one of those tropes, right, from uh, detective shows and movies. We didn't tell the public, how do you know there were black balloons? And she's like, I dreamed it, I dreamed it. Oh yeah, there's that element too, yeah. We find out that the mom, their mom is deceased and that she had visions and heard things. The daughter has dreams and turns out has visions. So now we're assuming because the son is talking to ghosts on the phone and then they're kind of in the room with them and stuff, that there's that. So that's the super uh, natural element of it. But then the bad guy is just a bad guy. He's just a lunatic. The kid doesn't do anything supernatural or super powered to save himself. The little girl basically has a dream and says she sees a thing and tells him what house to go to. And again, the police believe her, which I love. I love that the police and the grownups are all sort of bowing down to the children in this movie. Yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah. Sort of like take a page out of Stranger Things, right? You know, the kids run the show. I like that. It's also another movie to go into the collection of movies that have the heroes sat in the back of an ambulance at the end. Yep. I don't know how many of those movies there are, but I'm thinking (laughs) it's a lot. If you're talking of tropes, that is a trope, right? Definitely. Back of the ambulance. That's what I like to call it. So, yeah, I liked it. It's pretty straightforward. He is a serial killer, this guy, right? Yes. Child serial killer, which makes it even worse. It Does it? Yeah, he's terrible. I mean, does it make it worse? It's about the same. Taking Good point. Life, right? Good yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. I mean, people would say, oh, no, killing kids is way worse. But I would say killing anybody is bad, right? Correct. We're, so, we're on the same page there. Yeah. He also, um, we didn't mention, Ethan Hawke wears this mask during this movie. Good move, good move. Again, a trope. You've seen a baddie with a mask on a million times. This baddie has a particularly designed mask that he can take parts of it off when he feels like it. So if he only wants his eyes to show, he can. If he only wants his mouth to show, he can. Throughout the movie, he changes it up and it makes it weirder yeah that is creepy (laughs) i love that i love that it was like uh, it's uh. like you can kind of understand the mood he's in when he comes down the stairs depending on how exposed he is exactly which is really good like he seemed a bit more relaxed when his eyes were showing and then when he come down with just his mouth well he came what was the one where like nothing was showing he even had his mouth covered in the beginning he was completely covered right that was him sort of introducing himself, it seemed like, you know? Yeah, he gets a bit more relaxed, let's say. But and then when he's in a bad mood, he wears the really sad, creepy fucking face. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then when he's having a nap upstairs, because we see him having a nap in his chair, he's still wearing a mask. Uh, he's not, I don't think he's having a nap. I think he's passed out. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a nice way of putting it, I guess. Effective, I think, as a horror movie. Absolutely. It had a good atmosphere, good 
sound effects and everything, you know, and there wasn't any jump scares that I th- can think of, was there? Hmm, which I liked. I mean, there's a few little, like, he's right there and you're like, oh, shit, like he just appears. Yeah. A violent payoff, let's say, mm. which I actually ca- kind of enjoyed because it was a mixture of things that you've been telegraphed already. Telegraphed, get it? Not that we enjoy uh, the violence necessarily, but you know what? This guy was a terrible human being, and so the only way to thwart him was to dispatch with him. Dispatch him. Is that the way you say it? Yes. You missed my joke about telegraph. Did I? Yeah. You just missed it completely. Did I miss it? Yeah. Did I? (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to the cast, Mason Thames plays Finney. He's the hero 13-year-old boy. He's not been in anything else, just a short film. What did you think? It was amazing. Yeah. Seriously, absolutely amazing. And I was like, have I seen this kid before somewhere? I was, in my mind, he was in Stranger Things or It or something where kids were in. But Mm. no, it's not a kid we've seen before. I thought he was really good. And there's scenes he has to do action. I'm not talking about jumping from rooftop to rooftop, but he's got to do a fight. Yeah. The thing with the bullies in the school at the beginning. Yeah, this is a bit of a hodgepodge of tropes, like you said. Yeah. We've also got Madeline McGraw as Gwen. What did you think of her? Excellent. I really liked her. I liked where she come running up to the bullies and she's like, fuck you, you cocksuckers. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she also called the police. <laughs> something fucking fiddle. Something, I don't remember what I mean, what she's called. like, what? She's younger than Finn. Yeah, Finn, right? she's tough. But she's got some vile mouth on her. And it's very <laughs> funny when she swears. I liked it. And she's also, yeah, again, there's like a supernatural element with her. I don't think that was 100% needed, do you? It felt kind of sidelined a bit. Well, no, the idea is because the mother had yeah. this and then eventually sadly committed suicide because of it. Now the children both have some version of it. Right. The daughter is... Like, I think she's more confident because of it, somehow. Well, it's not explained in any way. No. But she really doesn't take any shit from anybody. Even her dad, when he's whipping her with a belt, she's just, she's gnarly at him, just like, screw you, like, go for it, right? She can handle anything, I think, because of whatever's in her. The son is afraid of everything. He has no confidence. And you even said that the entire movie, the whole thing is sort of for him to build his confidence where he has to get kidnapped by a serial killer and end up dispatching with the serial killer. And then all of a sudden he goes back to school and he has some confidence. So the supernatural thing, if you just did it as kids, wouldn't have the same, um, where if you take away the supernatural element, you're just left with what is a human-driven story, right? Like, there's no... There's no way for the kid to know not to fall for the trap. So the phone rings one time. One of the dead boys is on the phone and says, because he the our kidnappy Finn finds out sees that the guy didn't lock the door when he leaves this one time. And up to this point, he'd been friendly with him, but kind of weird, you know. And the phone rings. He answers it. And the dead kid on the phone, the ghost kid, says, don't go up the stairs. It's a trap. Right. So if the kid had gone up the stairs, all we would then and the kid says, why? Because if you go up, he'll offer to let you go. And when you try to leave, then he punishes you because now he wants to play this game called Naughty Boy. And you once you start playing, he needs to win. And so now that he's told us that on the phone and we've seen none of it. Right. We didn't see that boy get kidnapped and murdered and tortured by this guy. 
but now we know, right? So you've been able to like exhume that part visually from us, but tell us the story, but there's no other way to tell us, is there? Unless a victim leaves a note behind writing everything out, but the supernatural element is what gives him, the kid tells him how to fight him on the phone. He tells him how, what it, that he's passed out and the combination to the lock, all that kind of stuff. So I think you need that, you know, you just have to not question it. Now, moving on to the father, played by Jeremy Davis. He plays Terrence. What did you think of Jeremy? I mean, he was fine. He was fine. What a shitty father. A shitty father. I mean, people love to romanticize back in the day when you could beat your child with a belt and teach him all kinds of lessons. I'm 54, almost 55. I do not remember. I was raised in the 70s, born in the 60s. My mom swatted my siblings' butts, I'm sure. Uh, They're 10 years and 7 years older than me, right? So they got their butts swatted. I'm sure they got in trouble. Their arms grabbed and pulled like moms do, you know, to get you out of harm's way. Threatened with spanking. I remember none of that. Now I'm the baby and I'm me. So my mother will tell you, she loves to tell us all about our personalities, that it wouldn't have mattered if you threatened to murder me. (laughs) I was not going to listen to you. I was not going to do what you told me to do. Right. I had to just suffer my consequences and she sort of let that happen. So I don't have this romantic idea of when I was a child and someone's beating the crap out of me with a stick or a wooden spoon or a belt or their hand or the principal smacking me on my ass, which we had in my school, actually. Well, I was in my high school that my uh, headmaster, not principal, we, we don't call it that, gave me the belt and the cane. What did you do? I was late for school. I got the cane for that. And for the rest of your life, were you ever late again? Always. (laughs) I was... um, Fuck that guy. (laughs) Yeah, I was talking in class, multiple times talking in class. That that was the one where you get the belt, which is you have to bend over the chair and then he belts you on the ass. Not on the bare ass, because that would be weird. And you were talking in class? Talking, yeah. And have you talked since then? Always. (laughs) Oh, it does so much good, doesn't it? Didn't, it? it didn't do shit apart from make me think, look at, like, what a dickhead. What a dickhead. And I'm not knocking it. Do whatever yeah. you want. They're your children. Like, I'm not, I have no children. I'm not telling you how to raise yours. But I am a child, and I don't have memories of being afraid of my parents or being afraid to do something or say something or act up or talk back because of the threat of someone smacking me or anything. Not even, like, sitting me down. Like, I have no mem- recollection of that. If they did it and it molded my behavior... The fact that I don't remember it, right? Yeah. Means it did was ineffective. And so in this movie, we get this guy who we're supposed to be somewhat sympathetic to. So we have to kind of imagine his wife committed suicide. He's raising two children. It's 1978. The potential for him having PTSD from having been in Vietnam, which is not told to us, but every little loud sound makes him freak out a little bit, right? Yeah. So that's what I was, I was making up my own backstory. So the kids tiptoe around him. Yeah, they tiptoe around because every loud sound makes him jump. And so I just went with that theory that he had been in Vietnam or in, you know, gone in the military of some kind and has PTSD. This also translates to him somehow being a dickhead and whipping his daughter with a belt. Her personality, maybe that's how I was. She was just like, fine, just do it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah, I can handle it. But that's the father. He is that trope father from the 70s. Drinking too much, sitting in his chair, falling asleep. The children are taking care of him. 
He's a bit of a bully. But in the end, he sort of uh, yeah. buys into it all. And then he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But that always gets on my nerves. Because <laughs> I'm like, no, you're a fucking dick. <laughs> you beat your kids. So fuck you. I mean, you don't deserve to have your kids kidnapped and taken away from you. Correct. And finally, Ethan Hawke is the grabber we mentioned. You know, he's good. I think he's really good in it. Yeah. They do say, like, guest starring Ethan Hawke or something on the credits. I was like, what? Maybe he did it for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I was like, he's not. He's the protagonist of the whole. Well, that's a very 1970s television show thing. So, like, if all of a sudden you had famous person from the 40s or 50s coming into your episodic television show for the week. Right. And maybe they are the bad guy. Right. They would put on the credits guest starring. Oh, they used to do that in the X-Files also. Yes. Yes. Directed by Scott Derrickson. He directed the movie Sinister. Do you remember that one? Ethan Hawke was in it, actually. Which one was that? It was like a demon kid type one. Long time ago. Ten years, maybe more. A demon kid? I don't remember. Um, He also directed Doctor Strange and The Day the Earth Stood Still, the one with Keanu Reeves. Do you remember that one? Yep. So uh, what do you think of Scott's directing in this one? I feel like because it was, from the moment it got going, I was completely immersed. That means the directing is maybe nondescript. Like it's not, it doesn't jump out right. at all. It's not stylish. That means stylistic for this story to just unfold in front of me, the directing was perfect. Because all I was focused on was what is this guy up to and not 100% convinced the child is going to escape. So that was always a good thing. I was not focused on camera work or there's a little bit of extra like 70s uh, lighting and filtering and things like that. But it didn't distract me at all. I was I was all in it. Yeah, they made it look a bit grainy and grimy or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I thought it was appropriate for what it is. So uh, what are IMDb reviews? Let's get onto those. Well, those are reviews on a website called imdb.com. You like to go find the one stars because then you can be like, ooh, you wrote a one star review, you idiot. But then if you don't like the movie, you agree with them. So it's a funny situation. All right. The first guy says one out of 10. I honestly don't know how this movie gets a seven plus average rating. It absolutely sucks. Everybody in the cinema literally hated it. You must have interviewed every person in the cinema at the end. I guess. Unless he was the only one. Yeah, maybe. It was not scary, there was no storyline, and the ending was ultra predictable. People who say this is good are either kids or easily scared. (laughs) Right on. Second guy says, Horrible cliche acting, minus the main boy. Unbelievable cheesy characters, not scary at all. Cringy, terrible dialogue. Dad was abusive at the beginning, but absolutely fine at the end. Little girl's weird struggle with her faith, also pointless and weird. Her dialogue is awful. Oh my God, it's bad. Worst horror in theaters since old. I liked her little praying and, you know, talking to Jesus and then kind of wondering about it. I thought that was interesting because, I mean, clearly she's had this thing with her mom. She's aware of her mom, whatever she had. She's got a thing. It's going to mature her faster and questioning things like the existence of a God when she's seeing in her dreams things that are happening in reality Again, I'm adding all this to it because we don't have any conversations about this. But that explains why this young girl would be more mature and be like, okay, Jesus, I hope you're up there because I really need your help. And then to question, like, why are you having my brother be kidnapped? 
you know, and not helping me find him. I thought that was kind of interesting. And finally, this guy says, I'm not even sure what to say. I'm a huge Blumhouse and horror fan. I knew this was going to be more thriller than horror, but wow, it was so dull. It was like a Lifetime movie. (laughs) Well, I don't think it was like a Lifetime. Snotty. There are the IMDb reviews. We didn't see any extras because we watched the streaming version. Conclusion, I am going to give this a score, the black phone. I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Mm, six. Uh-huh. That's not super high. I think it's above average. But I get you. It is slightly above average, yeah. yes. So that gives it a six. I get you. I'm giving it a seven, so. Nice. Maybe a 7.4. If I was to give it a point, I'd give it a 6.5. <laughs> but I'm not, so it's just a six. <laughs> oh, 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 everybody. He's coming <laughs> over to the dark side. In the past, he has refused to give points, like decimals, because I don't know why. Because he's a point snob. I don't even know what the problem is, but he's coming around. (laughs) So thank you to Universal. Next week, we're going to be looking at a, it's not really a horror movie, but it is a creature feature. Let's call it. Okay. And it's Idris Elba in Beast. So we'll look at that next week. Okay. Movie recommendations. I am going with the new It movies, one and two, which I thought were really, really good. Mm. I enjoy them a lot. So It 1 and 2. I see them as one big movie anyway, right? Yeah. Second one is, this is because of Ethan Hawke, who started off this franchise, and that was The Purge. Mm. He was, again, I think that's Blumhouse, isn't it, The Purge? Maybe. Don't know. Anyway, Ethan Hawke's in the first one, if you didn't see the first one. I don't know if the first one's the best one. We've seen all The Purge movies. Do you mean, well... I mean, we have to give credit to firsts because we didn't even know the concept existed. No. And so for you to enjoy the concept enough to then go on to watch plurals of The Purge, including the television show, then the first one must have been fine. Impactful. Yes. So yeah, The Purge and It. And my recommendations are, going back to the 90s, I believe I'm 1996. This first one is not necessarily 1996, but Doctor Who? As a television show, I love it. Now, we haven't watched the last few seasons, but I'm looking forward to some long illness because sometimes when I get a really bad stomach flu or something, I end up spending several days on the couch. That's when I watch, like, marathon things. So You've I got could... to catch up on loads of Star Trek, right? You've got yes, so much Star I have Trek. A lot. Yes, Star Trek would have to come first. You're right. But yeah. Doctor Who, I just recommend watching any of it because it's super fun. Everyone has their favorite Doctor, but you got to watch it all in order for you to make a decision. Then we have Crash, and I don't know which Crash that is, but I think it's the weird one. Yeah, there are two. One's um, a David Cronenberg movie, and the other one is similar to Magnolia, but not as good. Okay. (laughs) I think this is a Cronenberg one where people like to watch uh, crashes or see crashes in the aftermath, and it's sexually stimulating. So there's that. Mission Impossible Dragonheart. Is that the one with um, your guy? I mean, there is no Mission Impossible Dragonheart. They're two different movies. Oh, it is two different <laughs> I mean, it'd be cool to see a dragon in Mission Impossible. <laughs> so Mission Impossible. Is that the first Mission Impossible, 1996? Yeah, that's the first one. Brian De Palma. Well, there we go. Yeah. It was fine. Dragonheart, then, is a separate <laughs> I want to see Mission Impossible Dragonheart. That does sound really good. But Dragonheart was, now that I think about it, that would have been, um, you know... 
the guy whose kid is Jack from The Boys. Dennis Quaid and Sean Connery. Yes. Dragon involved. Sean Connery is the voice of the dragon, I believe. So there's that. Fantasy shit. And I'm not saying it's shit, but, you know. And one of your favorite all-time movies, dare I say. I love it. Isn't this the first DVD you ever bought? Or had? It's one of the first. It wasn't the first. The first was Con Air. Oh, Con Air. Well, yeah. this is very similar. Yeah. <laughs> the Rock. Yeah. And we're not talking about Dwayne Johnson. We're talking about The Rock. We're with... talking about Nicolas Cage, The Rock. Right. Correct. Yeah. It's awesome. I love um, those old. They're old. <laughs> They're old. Con Air and that one. And oh Armageddon. my God, they are old now. They're from the 90s. Yeah. They're very dated. It's very formulaic. You could literally go scene by scene and match up movies, I think, from this genre and be like, oh, this is the scene where the guy tells us that this is his favorite fill in the blank car, wine, expensive champagne, his favorite shoes that cost a thousand dollars. So 20 scenes from now is going to be the scene where that thing gets destroyed, right? Because it's comedy stuck inside of action so we understand the formula and yet we still enjoy it so there you go it's, Doctor um, Who crashed Mission Impossible Dragonar and the Raw I would say it's vintage Bayhem oh my are you into making up stuff today yeah vintage Bayhem you get it yes I do <laughs> I actually prefer vintage Michael Bay to today's Michael Bay to be fair okay like had a tongue-in-cheek kind of thing about his 90s stuff it's all kind of silly, isn't it? And he knows it. But now when he tries to do stuff like Ambulance, the one we saw recently, he's just trying to be very, like, cool. This thing's cool rather yeah. than funny. I mean, it's not funny, is it? Like, it's just cool. I'm going to fly a drone all the time and I'm going to, you know, move the camera all the time. He didn't used to do that. Yeah, that's not fun. I think Transformers changed his kind of thing because he made that for like 10 years and then... Now he's kind of different <laughs> and older. Well, we all get, well, if we're all lucky, we get that. All right, Ace Curly stuff. I've been playing more Ghostwire Tokyo. I finished Ghostwire Tokyo last week and talked about it. But this week I've, I've decided to go and get the Platinum Trophy. I did mention that this game's a collectathon, and it really is more of a collectathon than I first thought when I decided to delve into the end part of it. And you're collecting these ghosts and you're collecting these statues and you're collecting all these different things in the city. I can play it with the sound off, completely off. I can just run around the city and it's really super relaxing, I said to you. Mm -hmm. I'm just grabbing the ghosts up and I'm just hovering around. And it gives you stuff at the end of the game when you finish the game to make collecting the stuff easier. Now, it giving me right at the very end of the game when the game was over, basically, a power that lets me point at a ledge and press a button and just appear on that ledge so I don't have to float or glide or climb. I can just look at the top of a building and be at the top of the building immediately. Makes it so much easier to collect everything. And there's something really satisfying about collecting stuff in games. Some people hate it, think it's pointless, and just there to pad a game out. Yeah, fuck some people. I don't disagree with the it's there to pad a game out, but it's kind of the thing that I like to do because... When you've played the game and like all the combat and everything and it was all stressful, this is just like a fun, chill out, go and collect everything. So that's Ghostwire Tokyo and playing it on the PS5. And that's that. Sid Tor, what's for dinner? 
mod pizza will be the plan. We're not sponsored. We just want pizza and mod pizza has turned out to be quite delicious. It's modern pizza. I mean, we also have corn chickeny things and some fries. We'll have those tomorrow. Okay. Okay. So it's mod pizza then. Yeah. And my advice, I'm stealing from uh, a huge corporation. So if everyone could just keep this quiet, I'm sure they invented this combination of words. That's fine. But just do it. Oh, you mean Nike's? uh, (laughs) Yes. It's old. I know it's way old. So maybe they forgot about it, but just do it. I mean, unless it's something, you know, don't be like, oh, I'm going to go jump out of a plane today without any training or any of that. Like I just am referring to like in my life, I have never, I've always been intimidated by painting. This is referring back to the original conversation about the painting. I've always been intimidated. I've made a few paintings. I'm happy with those. I love them. My The way I do it is just the way I do it. I have no lessons really. I went to, I mean, I went to college and I had art classes and all that, but I'm, I'm a shitty student, so I didn't really learn anything. I didn't learn about color theory or how to do the brush strokes or any of that shit. I've drawn my whole life, so I'm good at drawing things. I could draw a picture of you. I could draw a picture of anything, most likely, right? Painting, though, it's been like that thing that's just right over there. I look at paintings. I'm in awe of the skill, of the talent, of the everything. So I decided after my friend recently asked me to make a painting for her living room, and I did. It was totally like abstract, abstracty and weird. There was no method or technique or anything involved, right? It was just sort of like, ta-da, there it is. Then I decided I would really like to paint <laughs> like a sunset with convincing water. Okay, so what do you do, right? I have no fucking clue, no idea. I can draw it, black and white, there it is. I can even do it probably with colored pencils. Painting, though, moving that paint around and smushing it where it needs to go and laying it and layering it and mixing it. And it, even thinking about it now, it makes my brain be like, no, 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 no. The process for learning that, you don't have the patience. Just don't do it. Just go get a pencil and draw a picture. I decided I'm just going to do it. So I, of course, got one of the biggest canvases, right? It's like three and a half feet long by two and a half feet high. And I'm not talking about a little painting here. And I laid it on the dining room table. I started watching this guy on YouTube do um, paintings. He's like a German guy doing paintings of water and clouds. And I'm watching multiple times. I don't do this very often. I was like, hmm, okay, okay. I'm grasping the method, right? My brain is wrapping around it. Like, can my hand do what is required? Like, do I have the confidence? Not really yet, but... (laughs) (laughs) Then I just started doing it, right? I've painted over this painting probably 10 times now. Like the sky was weird and it's still really weird. The sky's wrong. The horizon line is crooked and it's actually a little bit slanted. But then I got hyper fixated, which I do on things. And I'm into like trying to make the water waves, even though they look kind of cartoony at this point. I I think I like graphic art so much that I sort of always gravitate to that, right? So it's really bold and the colors are really crazy. I'm using neon colored paints for the sunset, not anything subtle. And I'm really, 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 really enjoying it. (laughs) Wow. Is that enough? It really is. And so my brain just finally said, you know, and that's not an expensive proposition. I had some paints. I had some brushes. The canvases were all half price at Hobby Lobby. One day, and I was like, okay, so a $30 canvas. I bought like maybe $20 worth of brushes and maybe 10, 
probably 20 more dollars with paint because I didn't have big tubes of white and black. But other things you might be interested in might be super expensive. I get that. But me learning the, all I had to do was watch those videos to all of a sudden feel in like someone gave me a shot, like an injection of like, hold on, I can do that. Right? So if your thing is um, you're 40, but you want to be a doctor, you think you can't? Well, just start learning stuff. Like just start learning all the bones, all the muscles, all the fight, everything in the body or whatever the thing is you want to do, because you can do it. Right? You can. If you do want to jump out of a plane, then you have to learn it and do the process and pay for the process and blah, blah, blah. I have a classmate friend of mine, we graduated a long time ago, who has in the last 30 years built his own airplane piece by piece, literally one piece. Is buying it made it. out of Lego? <laughs> it's not made out, no, because he flies it and his son now can fly it. So, you know, that's one of those things you just, that's a big deal. That's a big expensive deal, right? Mine's more, you know, but I've done the same thing with photography. You do the thing with computers, like a thing you might not have thought you could do before, but you really just want to solve that problem yourself. Yeah. Fix the garage door on your own by watching videos and watching people do it. We, hey, I did and it still works. Yes. And we've done things to our car. I just think that the fear of failure, the intimidation of people looking at what you're doing, especially if it's creative or you announce it to the world like, hey, yeah, I know I'm 40, but I want to become a doctor or I want to become a lawyer or I want to be, I want to own a business or I want to become a, a, a chef and people will be like, at your age, you can't do that, right? It's very discouraging when you approach a big thing that you would be interested in learning and doing, but, you know, just do it. All right, thank you, Sid Talk. That was a long one, but it paid off in the end. Ascully.com is the site that you can go to to get this podcast. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can go to anchor.fm slash after the show, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, even YouTube, where we have a channel with this podcast on it every week. You can also email feedback to me, ascully at ascully.com. Do not email Sid Talk. She does not want your email. I mean, you can just do it and see what happens. See? see how I brought it around there? Stay classy, Mr. Ethan Hawke. Uh, I, I guess we won't be seeing him again as the, uh, whatever this guy is, the grabber. <laughs> no. <laughs> but stay classy anyway. Will not. I like Ethan Hawke. He's all right. And I'm going to say, think for yourself, because if you don't do it, somebody's probably already doing it for you. 